Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are, you know, whatever time it is. Welcome to Collider Dailies. I'm John Algets. And hey, look, I'm I'm hosting. I'm hosting with Maggie. It's, it's been it's been a minute. It's been a while. How you hey, been? I have been good. I, you know, got to enjoy the sights and sounds of Los Angeles and I'm back in the very snowy tundra, which is the East Coast right now. Well, you know what? I'm over here on the West Coast, and it is also a frozen tundra. Uh, I'm here in Washington State, and it's, yeah, <laughs> it's an ice cube. It's a, a tale of two Washingtons, and both of them are snow laden. It did. It did occur to me. I was like, yeah, we're both we're both cold, and we're both from Washingtons. It's it you know just different different Washingtons. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, uh, if you're if you're watching this, this is actually pre-recorded. Not to like spoil the fun of how this show works for you, but this episode is pre-recorded because as of this recording, assuming that I haven't gotten stuck in said frozen tundra, uh, I'm on a plane flying my way over to Sundance along with a few other Collider folk. I hope you uh, your arms really hard fast and you get there quickly. (laughs) I just have to get on it. Uh, No, I am like, I am actually legitimately worried about, there are two things that worry me about this trip. One Mm -hmm. is obviously planes being canceled, which there's like a very real possibility of that happening with how the weather is in Seattle right now. Uh, but also, I don't live in Seattle. I live in a smaller town, like a ways away from Seattle. It's a two-hour drive for me to get to the airport in Seattle. And I have to cross a mountain. Oh. And I drive a PT Cruiser right now. Uh, so... I have a feeling... Chances that's are not be... looking good for you, but I... <laughs> 
hope that the John of the future is safely on a plane right now, heading to a really fun work event. I think (laughs) I'm just hoping I'll be safe regardless of what I'm doing. If I'm safely still at home or if I'm safely, you know, in the, in the air, you know, whichever one it is. Uh, But anyways, so today we have a fun little discussion for you. Maggie is probably the biggest like fangirl that I've ever met in my life, which is have that as my title. (laughs) That's not even really an exaggeration. You have a long personal history with fandom. I do a very intense history with fandom. And I feel like, uh, we're almost like opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to fandom because we're we're both involved in fandom we both have our fandoms but you're like this very intense very involved sort of fan whereas i'm i'm a much more casual sort mm-hmm. of person like i don't get super involved i just kind of lurk yeah. a little bit so we have we have different perspectives on fandom, but I do want to have a little bit of discussion about the nature of fandom, maybe a little bit about the history of fandom and what fandom means to us and all that sort of stuff. But before we get into that, Maggie, what it what are probably your like your big fandoms right now? The ones that you are the most like active within? Uh, so I would obviously say Star Wars. I feel like that is very much uh, a given. Uh, it is one of my my longest running fandoms. Um, I would say Star Trek is another one, even though I don't necessarily like engage on the same level as I do Star Wars, but I would still consider that to be like one of my big fandoms. Um, and then I'm trying to like grassroots a Rebel Moon fandom right now with some of my friends. You are trying so hard. I see you on social media posting about it and I'm like... <laughs> I'm rooting for you, but I don't think it's going to happen, Maggie. I will make it happen. I I think by the next movie, we'll get some sort of grassroots fandom started. But I think that that's what's so fun about fandom is that you do have to, like, have people who are willing to, like, put the effort in to make that fandom a space that people want to come into it. I mean, that's kind of how fandom has always been created. You have a few like really loud, really excited people who are then like trying to spread the word of it um, and get other people invested and finding the things within those, like those properties that catch people's interest and like going after people that you're friends with that are like, this is something that I know you like engaging with. Try this thing. You might enjoy it. And it's fun that like all three of those things are sci-fi because that's very much something that's like just always been the thing that I gravitate towards. Like as a kid, it was the Farscapes, the Stargates, the other stars, the Star Wars, the Star Trek, those things, pretty much anything Gene Roddenberry came up with, you know, Earth Final Conflict was something I like was obsessed with as a kid. Andromeda. Um, Andromeda. Uh, so sci-fi is very much. And I think that kind of lends itself to where we're going with this discussion because sci-fi is very much like the original fandom. Star Trek in particular is really the one that was the, the, I guess the architect of fandom spaces as we know it today, both with like fan fiction and fan works and cosplay and conventions. Um, So it's, it's fun and it's fun to engage and get people invested in things in the same way you are. 
So it, it you're you're spot on that start that the Star Trek fandom is really the model for modern fandom. But mm-hmm. do you know what the actual like, or at least what is believed to be the first fandom? Do you know Do you know what it is? Off the top of my head, I want to say Sherlock Holmes. It's Sherlock uh, Holmes. Yeah. I was gonna say yes. that's the one that was like aggressive, uh, and and you know very much still uh, a great example of modern fandom too, because you had a fandom that was coming up with their own alternative endings for, you know, Sherlock Holmes, that they were chasing down Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and complaining about his choices. And then you have like the first example of a writer choosing to be spiteful towards his fans because they were insufferable. Um, (laughs) Despite them, which we see happen in modern fandoms today. We see showrunners who seem to actively hate their fans and say things that they, they know like willfully pokes the bear. So it is interesting. Yeah. So the two, based on the research that I did, the little like, preliminary research that i did before coming to this episode the two oldest fandoms that we know of are the sherlock holmes fandom and the model train fandom oh yeah that makes sense yeah Mm. now going back to something that, that you said a little bit earlier about how your your big fandoms are all connected by being sci-fi do you find your your fandoms being like in the same genre or having that connective tissue does it make it easier for you to be a part of multiple fandoms because i like the the fandoms that i am active in admittedly like as i said i'm not super active in are not as connected as that like i'm i'm a part of the like rhythm game fandom like doing controller mods and stuff like that and talking to controller modders i didn't do that one but uh you know all that sort of stuff and then there's like the boomer shooter fandom (laughs) uh because you know i i like my dooms and my quakes and then like (laughs) you know there's and then of course there's a star wars fandom which i am a part of and the the max Payne fandom and all sort of things where it's like there's not really a lot of connectivity in there a little bit in that they're they're games but that's about it but do you find that it that it makes it easier and is there like crossover like so in people or whatever yes um and this is kind of funny to say since I was like, oh, yeah, Star Wars and Star Trek are like my big fandoms. And I think that's because those are the fandoms that have kind of just persisted throughout my entire life. But if we're looking towards fandoms that have had connective through lines, um, that would be like bouncing from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer fandom, which I specifically shipped, which if people are watching this and they don't know what shipping is, that's when you want two characters to kiss. Um, <laughs> I feel like I, if someone tuned in for an in-depth discussion about fandom, yeah. they probably know what shipping is. This is true. I do have a teacher's heart where I want to make sure that people are on the same page so that they can all enjoy and understand things kind of at the same level. Uh, So that is what shipping is. We're not sending them via UPS or DHL. Uh, We just want these two characters to kiss and have a happily ever after. So very early on, like when I was probably way too young to watch Buffy, I very much wanted like Spike and Buffy together. So Buffy was some of like the first early like internet content that I sought out as a kid. Then I moved on to wanting uh, Phoebe and Cole together on Charmed. Then I moved on to like the next enemies to lovers relationships throughout different shows. Like my big one was Once Upon a Time, 
Captain Swan, then Raylo with Star Wars. Then, you know, I got really interested in Rings of Power because there was, you know, a, a bit of an ETL vibe there that you can play with in the, the non-canon realm. Um, and there's some of that in Rebel Moon as well. So I do find that I gravitate towards shows that have uh, ETL, which is enemies to lovers. And I have people who have been like consistently in my fandom experience for many, many years, there is a video gift creator that I think I have interacted with on basically every forum that you can for the last maybe 15 years from like live journal to YouTube to early Twitter to Tumblr, back to Twitter, um, TikTok, those kind of places. And that's like somebody who has always gravitated towards the same ships as me. And like, I've kind of like, we're mutuals on Twitter and stuff now, but there's like, that's, you know, part of fandom, which is so interesting and kind of goes back to what I was talking about with Rebel Moon. And like, when you have a group of people that have kind of migrated from different property to different property, you more or less know that you can count on them to eventually get on board with whatever you're excited about. And I think that's, what's so fun about fandom because even if something goes away or like interest in a, a TV show or a series or a movie kind of fades, you can still count on finding those same people on the next big property and having that kind of shared communal experience continuing kind of ever on, which I, that's the thing I love about fandom is community. So community, obviously, you know, as you just said, being such a big part of fandom, do you think that, th that that's like an inherent human thing? Like <laughs> we all, we're like, we naturally, we love something. And so we wind up building a, a community around it. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of how to phrase what it is that I'm trying to say. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'll jump in to fill the dead air. Uh, I wish I had my glasses on so I could push them up my nose and be like, well, anthropologically speaking, um, I, was, I was, I was trying to get us to the anthropology. Yeah, discussion. yeah. I was like, let me just be Ross Geller. You right got, now. you got where I was going. Anthropologically speaking. Um, yeah, I mean, one fact about both of us. Yeah. We actually both while we were in school studied anthropology. Yes. I actually have my master's in it. So you have a master's in it. I had a minor in it. So like my knowledge is significantly <laughs> less, but it's still there. It is. Have I ever used that minor? No. You know what? I would disagree with that statement. I think that you use it every day when you are engaging with media because fundamentally the stories that we engage with are built on the uh, philosophies that are inherently linked to humanity, which is what anthropology studies. I think yeah. that anthropology has actually made me a much better critic uh, because it has me looking at stories on a much deeper level because that's basically what stories are is this shared experience that's being passed along in the same way that like folklore is there's common threads there's there's tropes there's little aspects of like what happened when this was being written um that you see like something i was just talking about uh with friends the other day was talking about salt burn which just came out and there's a, a lot of bodily fluids uh shared and communed in that and that i think the bathtub, the vampire scene, there's a lot to it. And I think that was born out of the pandemic because the idea of, you know, interacting with other people's, you know, saliva and things like that was so taboo and so foreign for, you know, a few years there. And that's something that I'm sure down the line, there will be people who are looking at uh, the culture of films 
as a response to what we went through collectively. So, I mean, that you're always going to use the anthropology that you, you know, studied. All right, fair enough. I kind of half expected you to go in like a, a far cheesier <laughs> direction when you when you started that sentence. That's why people who are watching the video are probably like, why did John make a face when she started talking? Is because I expected it to be a far like cheesier <laughs> statement than it wound up being. That is instead you just turned it into a fair solid point but anyways back to the idea of uh analyzing fandom through an anthropologist lens uh do do you think that it's it's it is there similarity between you know the the community building that goes around with fandoms and something like I don't know, story time around the campfire for cavemen, or even if we want to get real blasphemous, maybe some like early cults. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, even the way I was describing, like going out and trying to recruit people into a fandom is by, <laughs> by nature, like a hallmark of a cult. And it's also like, there's aspects of like religion. Um, you know, it's something I have, I've discussed about the Star Wars fandom a number of times is the fact that there is a, a really strong adherence to canon. Um, in a, an almost frightening way that like once somebody has solidified something as their interpretation of canon to go against that is treated as blasphemy. And like, there's very much this idea of like in and out groups and like which canon you choose to acknowledge, which is very like the diversification of religion uh, and different interpretations of like the sacred text, which is hilarious that The Last Jedi is a film that has had such a, a strong reaction because it literally takes those secret texts and says, who needs them? Which I love. And, but that's very much like a great example of how fandom can become a form of religion. But to go back to the point that you made about like the shared experience of like telling stories around the campfire, um, something that I was like working on, um, studying in my master's program before some of the, like the way that the program worked changed was specifically about women's role in fandom and how it reflects women's role in culture. And of course, this is getting very much down on like the binary, um, and like women are expected more or less to like create a safe space for community to, you know, be the person that is creating, um, not just like humanity, um, but like creating the, the comforts of society, like, you know, feminine disciplines are very much like sewing, storytelling and writing, all of these like creating art, those are all disciplines that are very leaning towards like the feminine. And you see that in fandom, those are very much the hallmarks of a successful thriving fandom is if there's like fan art, if there's cosplay, if there's fan fiction. And then you also have like looking back at like early examples of fandom, like Star Trek, very much everything about the Star Trek fandom that we have today is because of the women that were involved in that. The very first fan conventions were started by women. The, you know, letter writing campaign that saved Star Trek was founded by women. You know, even Star Trek's inception was aided by Lucille Ball. She was one of the only people who really believed in it and backed it with her production company. And then you have, you know, fanzines and those sorts of like pre-internet um, community building. And those really relied upon um, the social networking skills that women are are taught, you know, keeping Rolodexes of all the people making sure you like have addresses kept up, kind of keeping track of who's like safe within a community so that you can share that information. And so it's very much, yes, it is a culture, any 
you know, the same as any other culture fandom is. Yeah. So a long minute answer. I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Solid answer. Uh, so I guess really that just kind of brings me to the question of how do I, how do I broach the elephant in the room when it comes to women in fandom? Uh, because recently there was there was a pretty heated discussion about and women. It's ongoing. It's, it's still ongoing, uh, much to much to many people's chagrin. Uh, there there was a pretty heated discussion about women, specifically within the Star Wars fandom. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like women in nerd spaces is in any way, shape, or form a new thing? No. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, even even the that was, a loaded, that was a loaded question because I already knew the answer. <laughs> it's, it's so funny that that is this this rhetoric that I do believe is more like recent within the last 10 years. There's been a, a very large push to kind of normalize this idea that like, ooh, fangirls, they're taking over. They're ruining everything for the boys, which isn't true. I mean, even if you look at published works about fandom uh, for the last, gosh, I think one of the seminal works came out in 88, uh, which is where the, where the boys are, I think is what the title of that work is that really talks about the gender dynamics and fandom and the fact that women have always been part of fandom. Um, I, th- I think it speaks to the larger issue with like social media and the quick access to people in a way that we previously didn't have that access um, which is given this weird idea that like, oh, this is a new thing because, oh, now we're just showing up or something like that. But we've always been there. We just weren't um, in the same community spaces as all of the guys, you know. Well, yeah. And and like, that's really what it what it comes down to. And I think it's a combination of social media and the the mainstreaming of nerd culture mm-hmm. as like an acceptable thing, because I mean, we both of us growing up. We grew up in the time, in the before times, uh, when being a nerd wasn't cool. When 100%. it wasn't, when it wasn't like an acceptable thing. When like we weren't making a living off of yeah. talking about the latest Marvel movie. Like that, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. Like nobody I mean, cared. Even- even in the course of this conversation, I'm sitting here thinking about the fact that like we're talking about fan fiction on Collider.com. And like when I was in college, not even a decade ago, talking about fan fiction was still this like taboo. You didn't admit that you knew where to find fan fiction, much less will, that you wrote it. And now I will admit I still have a like fan fiction still kind of makes me go. Yeah, because like, I mean, that was that was the thing. Like you you bullied the people who talked about fan fiction because, oh, yeah. they must be weird antisocial people who spend all their time thinking about fictional characters where everybody was doing that. Like everybody was doing it was just like a hush hush thing. Yeah, but it's because now being a nerd is largely cool. accepted by society. It's cool, I guess, if that's the way I would say it's normalized. I wouldn't necessarily say that yeah. it's like cool necessarily, although there are some people who think that it is cool i guess yeah uh but it it's just more widely socially accepted that mm-hmm. in combination with as you were saying social media making it far easier for us to interact with people and interact with 
you know, subsets of the community that we might not have been aware of. And I feel like that's a thing also just outside of fandom. It's just a larger world thing. Like a lot of people, you know, talking about like, oh, I feel like crimes going up or, you know, things of that nature. And it's like, no, it's not. It's it's actually statistically going down. It's just that you're far more aware of what's yeah. there than you were before. I mean, your comment about streamlining of fandom and like the um, the ease at which we are able to access a lot of people's thoughts all at once is very very recent. But you know, thinking back to, and I'm sure this is a, a shared experience that you have. You, you would seek out smaller and nicher subsets of those fandoms and you would join like a, a private live journal group where it would be like you and maybe a hundred other people who all like this one specific aspect of a TV show and you didn't engage with the other side of that fandom or somebody would be like, Hey, I'm going to start this like uh geo cities or, you know, angel. Oh God. What was the angel angel fire angel fire. I'm going to start a website for this. We'll just have like a chat board on there and that's where we'll have our conversations or, you know, something like that. You weren't really on Twitter where you see everybody's thoughts all the time, a constant stream of opinions you agree with or don't agree with. You no longer live so much in that echo chamber of, you know, isolation. And I think that's that's really where the shift came with like, I, I was on early Tumblr and early Twitter when the, the fandom was kind of really fully burst in those two locations. And there was like a weird point where like people still didn't really know, like how public did they want to associate like their, their name with their, their fandom. And it's, it's been really interesting to see that change and this, you know, normalization of fandom and fandom spaces. Um, and it's been both good. I think it's been really great to see like a whole new generation coming up in an age where they don't have to hide the things that they're like in, in love with, the things that they're passionate about. They don't have to hide that. But I think that that is a very much a double side sword because you're seeing a lot of very extreme, very regressive opinions being born out of that access, uh, which is very frightening on a whole different level. And that can be like a follow-up episode we do about like the return of purity culture and fandom. Cause that's a whole nother fascinating I, thing. It's very fascinating to see this. We're going to get into it actually, because here's the okay. thing. I don't understand. I don't understand that, that thought process. I, yeah. I never have the idea of like, I have to protect my fandom. I have to protect the, from the other, from other people joining it. I do not understand it. And I'm, I'm speaking to a very, very specific audience right now. When I say this growing up, I would have killed to have anybody show any level of interest in the things that I loved to the point that I felt comfortable talking about it. So why would I want to discourage people from wanting to learn about the things that I love? Yeah. I don't get it. So just, just recently on TikTok mm -hmm. on, on D and D TikTok, there was a guy who, I don't know if you, you're kind okay. of on, I saw kind of it. on the outskirts. Yeah, the tourist guy. Mm -hmm. This so this guy like just makes an offhanded tourist comment, and D and D TikTok just tears into this guy. Like, just it was royal. I even I even had a video queued up, but then I got sick and I didn't wind up posting it. Uh, but that is one situation where I really don't get it because we have a hard enough time getting groups together 
Mm-hmm. Why would you not want new people coming in? Yeah. That Just video was actually a great example of why I never got into D&D until I was 30 years old and a video game came out that was like, oh, this actually has things that I'm interested in on like a fantasy level. I'm going to get in that way. And then you had Honor Among Thieves. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is like stuff that I was too afraid to ask questions about because that fandom always felt so insular. And so like, don't come into our gated community. You know, they had a gate up. This was a gated community. I I felt like I was just like looking over the fence. Uh, And that was a perfect example of the gatekeeping that is still so prevalent and pervasive and just like everywhere in fandom. But I do think that it it gets back to the root of this like anthropology view that we're looking at fandom because to have a society is to have an in and out group. And I think we have a, a serious issue as well with fandom becoming politicized and so that you have to be morally right about things always. You can't, there's no room for differing opinions. There's no room for like a, a gray space between the black and white extremes. And so you have like a very uh, heightened sense of um, activism. It's, it's basically like fandom is activism, which is, is fiction is fiction. Like fiction does yeah. not have. Yeah. That's a, again, a whole nother conversation, but I think that's rooted in this idea that you have to be in an, in and out group. And that's rooted in, you know, society and another hallmark of why I believe that fandom and the fandom spaces that we create should be treated as like a, a culture because it has all of those same kind of like hallmarks of what makes a culture a culture. And, to have an in-group, you have to have an out-group. And I, I think that's what we're seeing with this new form of gatekeeping. And it's a much scarier form of gatekeeping because before you had people who were like, I just don't want you in my group. You know, you're on the outsides. You, you, you can't touch my favorite toys. Now you have, oh, if you don't engage with this piece of media the exact same way I am, I'm going to cancel you for the rest of your life. And it's like for being like, yes, I like Kylo Ren. And you're like, oh, well, obviously you're a terrible person. No, I just like a fictional villain. See, I I have in the past jokingly said that kind of thing to you. Yeah. But you know that I'm joking, right? Exactly. It's honestly, it is uh, the curse of being like a, a lifelong villain lover. Um, that I'm means that I will never understand Raylos. I'm sorry. I just don't get you. We don't need you. To I accept understand. you. I just don't get you. Thank you for accepting us. We don't need to be understood. Um, <laughs> we're doing fine. We turn 10 next year. We'll still here. So, oh, wow. That, that hurt my soul. Yeah. Somebody, somebody made that comment this morning. I'm like, cool. I'm going to go buy hair color. <laughs> Wait, is it? No. Like 15. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that hurts. That, that hurts almost as much. As back in 2021, when someone pointed out to me that Final Fantasy X was 20 years old. And I was like, my. <laughs> some- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Can someone get me some Metamucil? (laughs) (laughs) Metamucil and a walker. I'm getting old. 
Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, back you're back on topic. Here's something that I that I want to want to ask you about. Uh, so something that was taught not within anthropology, but was taught within media theory mm-hmm. is the idea of the public sphere. And the idea that once something, once a work is out there, there's a discussion that winds up being had about the ownership of the audience versus the ownership of the artist. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you fall in this sort of thing? There, there's, it also kind of falls into the discussion of like death of the artist, which is something yeah. that comes up quite a bit, especially around that one author. Yeah. Uh, I exactly know who you're thinking about. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it, it, it could be anybody. I don't, you know, like, do you think there is validity in the idea that once something, once a work is released out in the public, the ownership of the audience almost does carry a certain degree of weight. And it is something that is Oops. worth paying attention to and is worth cherishing, I guess would be the word I would use. I mean, I'm on record saying that most fandoms are in a better place when fans have kind of control of the, the, it's 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 really hard to like formulate the words of but you look at things like star trek you look at things like star wars where there have been these massive gaps in between installments and the reason why those fandoms stayed as strong as they were and were then received so well we can have our conversation about the phantom menace's reception um but were received so well i mean the fandom is still exists the the properties are still existing you know we have more star wars movies coming to theater you know, soon that that is because of fans. If there weren't fans that were keeping things alive in between those installments, there's only so much marketing can do, especially when you have these cult classic fandoms. And it's it's really the fans that are keeping them alive. I mean, the the the, the fandom that must not be mentioned, which is Harry Potter. Um, I'll just go ahead and mention it like it's Voldemort. I mean, that fandom is you can, you can mention Harry Potter without mentioning yeah she her. who shall not be named yes um is still alive and active and some of the best people outside of the people who have made it their entire like personality look we don't need to know what house you would be in you're thirty you have a mortgage move on <laughs> it doesn't need to be yeah like it doesn't need to be it can be like a, a fun thing but it doesn't need to be your whole personality um but those fandoms that are still creating work are some of the most talented creatives i have ever encountered in my life and they are like actively fighting against like the horrible hateful rhetoric that jk has you know put out there into the world and it's great to see the way that, i know it's great to see the the way that her name i know it but it is great to see how that fandom has kept it alive in the spirit of their own their own way um you know there's a lot of stuff like the marauders and like all of that that is very much a counter response to her beliefs which is like a beautiful thing to see in that death of the artist and the way that it continues and i do think that like while obviously we'll never really get fan fiction as like something that is like uh, approved because of like the whole legalities of all of that you know ip and all of that i do think that like in a lot of ways, fans are the best part of most of these properties. Like, yes, I love watching the movies. I love doing all of that. But I love the like the fan side of it, where you see them going and seeing a movie, not enjoying it or liking parts of it, and then taking those things and turning it into something. And I always think of Carrie Fisher's, you know, quote, take your broken heart and turn it into art. And I think that is like a perfect kind of like stance to take for engaging with media. If you don't 
don't like something, you don't have to like send hate to the creatives. You can just create your own world, create your own experience and kind of, that's what I love about fandom. I love the creative aspect of it, which is, you know, beautiful and should be encouraged. Well, and for me growing up, the two, the two biggest examples, uh, at least that I engaged with that, you know, were creativity within fandom was probably, uh, the modding scene for a lot of video games, which I mean, mm-hmm. like Doom, the boomer shooter fandom was kept on life support almost purely off of custom levels for like Doom and Quake and those sort of games. Because we had a period of time there where everything turned into Call of Duty and we stopped getting the we stopped getting boomer shooters, yeah. uh, which boomer shooters, if you don't know what they are, it's it's Doom and Quake and it's the fast paced like I have an entire podcast episode of my of my own show talking about what is a boomer shooter. Uh, so go listen to that if you really care. Uh, but the other example would actually be, and this is something that we have touched upon very briefly in our personal discussions, uh, Star Wars fan films. I used to watch, I used to go to fanfilms.net pretty much every other day. And I was watching on like dial up internet slow ass internet i was watching every fan film that came in every single time like at launch i watched them all i never engaged with star wars fan films but one of my early youtube fandoms was doctor who fan films and doctor Wait, who there are doctor of course there's doctor who fan yeah. films. why, uh, why don't am i engage with a lot of them because some of those people have more recently been out as terrible people and that's a, a whole thing so just isn't that fun when that happens should Isn't we talk about Spider-Man Lotus if we're going to be talking about terrible people in fan films? But going back to what I was just saying, it's not about controversial fan. people. Uh, Troc Rock, uh, which was Time Lord Rock, was like a whole thing um, kind of around the, the David Tennant era, which was people creating their own rock bands based off of Doctor Who things um, and having like cool names for their bands that were like based off of Doctor Who stuff, writing songs about it. Chameleon Circuit was like one of the biggest ones. And it was actually backed by, oh God, I'm going to be a terrible fan for forgetting what the Green Brothers production company was. Oh my God. It's totally blanking. It's like the acronym thing. Don't forget to be... DFTBA? Awesome. Yes. Backed that. I actually have an album for it somewhere, but like that was such like a fun new thing. So I had never really heard about fans creating bands. And yeah, wasn't, like, wasn't that also a, hair, a thing that happened? Yeah. Yep. yeah. And I think it just migrated there. And that's like the, the migration of ideas and fandom, which is so interesting. And I think that kind of came out of not everybody has the ability to like do a $10,000 fan film, but they might be able to get some buddies together with a guitar and a drums and maybe some lyricism and create something. And I think that's another fun. And I think that was a very male leaning world. Most of those bands were guys. Most of the fan films were made by guys. And I think that that's another conversation to have about how fandom is, again, talking about it on a binary, which kind of way that people go. So you have like fan fiction, fan art, which is a very like, mostly women are involved with that. And then you have this other side, which is fan films are no different than fan fiction, it's the same thing you have, yeah. you know, for the longest time, guys would be like, oh, I have a I have a treatment for Star Wars. And it's like, you have a fanfic. That's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, join the club. But it's the same kind of thing. And then you're creating music 
in the same way that people are creating art. And it's, it's just the different ways that kind of we have been pushed to different avenues of creativity, which is just so cool. Yeah, it's in another one that is often considered, I think, a a more like feminine leaning creative outlet. At least it it is it seems to be presented online more to be feminine leaning would be cosplay. Yeah. Although there are there are obviously there there are a lot of very talented male cosplayers too. Like oh my gosh, I know. Especially in the armored Uh, scene, like they have really revolutionized the way to create like cheap, easy to make armor that still looks badass. I actually uh I don't think I've ever said this publicly, but I have told myself because so I've been on a weight loss journey for myself for a little while now, uh, kind of trying to trying to stop being a, a big old fatty fatty. Uh, Do not put yourself down on a public. That's form. not putting myself down. That is me motivating myself. Okay. Uh, but anyways, as a way of motivating myself, I told myself that when I reached a specific weight, which I don't remember what the weight is off the top of my head. I have it written down. It's a, it's a weight where I would feel comfortable enough doing this. I was going to cosplay a power ranger. Like I was I going to, that. as a reward for myself, I was going to spend the money to get to get a, a very nicely made helmet by one of the very talented makers out there, you know, do this, do the suit, do the whole thing. Again, it has to be a, a weight that I'm comfortable wearing spandex, <laughs> yes. you know, but so it, it cosplay is something that I've always been had a passing interest in. Uh, and it is, it is such a fantastic creative outlet, I think for, you know, fandom. Yeah. I have mad respect for cosplayers. I have tried to cosplay, but I have never convinced myself that I want to wear a costume like that in public, mostly because I don't want to be perceived. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I I saw your Instagram post and I saw you uh, dressed up in an Anakin outfit. So. Yeah, that was when I was young. And uh, just to to put some hindsight on fandom. Um, I was bullied for wearing that costume to an event with a bunch of other teenagers. And now it is incredibly fun to be able to share that completely unashamed of my greasy, bespectacled, brace face uh, self dressed up like Anakin next to a cardboard cutout. Um, Love that that is now like a normal thing to do because back then that was like hidden inside of like a, you know, lunchbox hidden inside of a, you know, toy, I don't know, safe or something like that because I didn't want people to know I was that big of a nerd. I did it once, did it publicly, never again. Um so yeah, I mean that I mean that but that's a really good example of how far we've come in fandom. That was something I was like pushed into being ashamed of when I was like 13 and now I'm like, yeah, that's cool. At I've been what on the so people <laughs> do you do you have like a a specific time when you were like no, you know what? I'm just going to be open and out about how like nerdy I am about whatever it is that you're nerdy um, about at that moment. 
it was college, I guess. Um, that's when I got really into Tumblr and I had a really good friend group. Um, and that was when Once Upon a Time was on and I was getting really invested in like tracking Nielsen numbers and watching to see when things would be renewed. And I got really involved in like watching when certain sites would get sneak peeks. You know, we had like a, a schedule. We would always expect it on a Wednesday for the Sunday. And I got very big into like posting about that constantly on like public social media, like Facebook and stuff like that. My memories are an absolute. <laughs> I don't even look at them. Time vault of just there's some there's some cringy there. stuff on Facebook memories oh, that I don't even I, I don't even look. I get the notification. I don't open it. I do. It's nice walk down memory lane. But like I was even more cringy than I am now. Um, I've toned that down because now I'm older and I work in this industry and, you know, it, it's less cool to be that much of a nerd um, all the time when you are adjacent to those fandoms. Um, but I think it was college and that's when I was like, this is something I'm really passionate about. It's like the one thing that I am passionate about and like love. Uh, and I was just like, whatever. Uh, and in Star Wars, when I got more invested in that after the decline of Once Upon a Time, I was like, well, this is my personality now. This is my personality from like six to 16. So I guess it's time to make that my personality again, because uh, that was right when um, The Force Awakens, talking about 10 years ago, um, and social media was really picking up and taking off. And I was like, well, this is my thing. And Star Wars has always been that fandom that I can fall back on whenever I need um, friends and things to be excited about. And yeah. For me, it was uh, my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. I I very vividly because so like I I grew up in rural Oregon in a real small podunk town, like you know only like I think it's like five hundred people maybe. My my high my high school was eighty something people total. Like that's how many people were in my school. My graduating class was 15 people. That's, that's how small. So like we, we had all the, all the same like clicks as your normal high school, but they were like, you know, they were as small as you would expect with that small of a population. So our nerd population was basically me. And that's like it. So like I tried to hide it and I, I tried in vain to to not show how big of a nerd I was. And finally, my senior year of high school, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to see any of these people probably ever again unless I want to. Uh, and so I'm just going to I'm going to let my little freak flag fly and I'm just going to be whoever it is that I want to be. And I just let myself be as nerdy as I wanted, mm-hmm. um, which honestly was probably a good choice because. That was, I think 2008 was when nerddom started to become more popular. Like it was on the incline. Uh, So I kind of, I guess I got in on the ground floor, guys. You did. If you want to know how nerdy I was about Once Upon a Time in College, um, if I go to my reunion next year, I will see the see how nerdy I was because we all had to sign the banner when we graduated and I signed it hashtag Captain Swan and my mortar board was Captain Swan. Um, I decorated the whole thing in pictures from the show. Um, so that was me being proudly nerdy. Um, but yeah, next year I'll, I'll get to uh, bear witness to that if I uh, go to my uh, reunion because they'll pull out the banner and there will be my 10 years of shame. <laughs> I guess that's the benefit. Another benefit of going to a tiny, tiny school like that is that 
uh, my school doesn't do reunions. Mm. So, and it, it mostly because it's kind of like an unspoken thing where it's like, if you want to have a reunion, you just go to the rodeo every summer because like it, pretty much everybody's going to be there anyways, unless, unless you're the person who moved away far enough that you're not going to come back to town for that. So me, like I, I've moved multiple states <laughs> a few different times away from that town, but still like, so we don't do reunions. So I don't have to worry about that sort of embarrassing part of my life coming up, except for every single time that I speak to my best friend who I've known since I was seven years old and who uh, will occasionally remind me of just how cringy I was as a, as a child. We it's... all need those people in your life. I have people. Do that... we though? We do. You know, I have. I have a friend that I still talk to regularly. That's known me since we were like twelve. Uh, we became friends in this like friend group because of Star Wars. Uh, we met on a bus going to a summer camp. Uh, and sometimes he'll like throw like throwback reminders to things we talked about. Like one of the things that we wanted as kids was for Jude Law to be in Star Wars. And now he's going to be in Star Wars. Skeletons Crew is coming out. So it was like things that like we were super nerdy about. And like that happened. That actually came true. Like our, our fan wishes happened. Um, and that's kind of that's a fun part of having people in your life that have been there for so long in fandom because they know all of your deepest, darkest fandom secrets. <laughs> <laughs> So this is where we're going to kind of like wrap things up a little bit. We only bit. talked for like 45 minutes. It's fine. Oh, you know, it's, just, it's whatever. Uh, <laughs> so before we do call it a close, though, I, I feel like we've been very critical of certain elements and of certain issues within fandom. So I want, I want us to, to sort of end it on a, end it on the best note that we can. So. I want you to like give me your like back of the box blurb favorite thing about fandom. <laughs> like maybe it's a memory, maybe it's like a particular a particular fandom that you you know, maybe a subset of a fandom that you love that you want to like particularly shout out. You know, just something that makes you genuinely happy about fandom. Oh, I mean, I could cry for you. Um, when I think about fandom, I think about everything I have in my career is because of fandom. I can map out like a constellation in the stars of everything that has led me to where I am today, sitting here having this conversation with you on Collider.com. Like I can see the movements throughout my life and the groups of friends that pushed me and navigated me and, and you know, got me to where I am today. And I credit everything I have to fandom. I credit it to the fact that like my mom took me to a Star Trek convention when I was three years old to meet Chakotay. Like, and now I have, you know, interviewed tons of people from Star Trek. I write reviews for Star Trek shows. My words were on a billboard in Hollywood for Star Trek Picard. Um, you know, I just got a, a Star Wars book that hasn't come out yet. And the back of it has a blurb that I wrote on Collider. And it's like my words are on the back of a Star Wars book that like people are going to hold and, and read. And 
I remember when I was a child and going to a bookstore and buying my very first Star Wars book in the expanded universe and like loving Jaina and like wanting to be her when I grew up. And then obviously the expanded universe got, you know, is doesn't doesn't exist except in our hearts. But then getting to see people like, you know, I keep talking about like the High Republic stuff, seeing people have that same experience with like a new era of storytelling that like I had when I was a kid and seeing all of that. And like, that's the beauty of fandom. You don't necessarily know when you're in the midst of a fandom that the things in that fandom are going to fundamentally change you and like the course of your future. And I think that's, what's so beautiful about it. I got teary eyed. Um, But like fandom is just like such a beautiful thing. And like, that's why I'm so passionate about it because I can see, and like, I'm not, my story is not unique. There are so many people in uh, film criticism and like television criticism, people that I work with every day at Collider that like their story is the same as mine. We were just fangirls who were just having fun and we were able to turn that fun and that passion, that thing that we love into an actual career and like a field that we are respected in and people come to listen to us and it's like isn't that fun that like we used to just write like random meta on tumblr about characters that we loved and now like we write articles that get published and read by like hundreds of thousands of people and it's just it's it's such a beautiful thing and it's like everything i have is because of fandom like i everything and yeah (laughs) very emotional response but i think that's ending it on a very high note i mean i don't i feel like nothing that i could say could (laughs) possibly top that but i i will say that for me the the biggest thing is honestly the people that i've met through fandom uh there there have been some people who are still friends of mine to this day from you know talking to them on forums and you know or like raiding with them in in guilds in world of warcraft and things of this nature and some of some of the the most heartfelt discussions that I've ever had with people have been people that I have never and will never meet in person, but I got the chance to talk to because we both shared something uh, in common, like loving, loving something so strongly. And of course, as you said, the career and getting us to where we are in life, because I mean, as I pointed out in high school, I was the kid who was who was beaten up and bullied for, you know, loving Star Trek for loving Star Trek and loving Star Wars and all that sort of stuff. And now I have been working in this industry since 2016. And now I get paid to yeah. talk about those things. And, and people you know, the listen. Best part, the best part is those people who bullied you. If they still follow you on social media, they see you thriving. And that brings me so much joy. Like, despite those odds, we both persevered. And now we're here talking about fandom in a very, you know, meaningful way, which is just beautiful. And now you're here with us getting to share in this joy of loving something. And I hope that you are loving being a part of the Collider fandom, the Collider Dailies fandom. I hope that I hope that we're are we building a fandom? I would like to think we are. We need to come up with a fan name for them. Are they like the dailies, the days? Like, what is their fandom name? What is their little, their little title? <sighs> Let we us know in the comments. We need to workshop this, I think. Yeah. There needs to be let a... The, let a, the fans name themselves, John. That's true. It is It is about. It is about building culture. Exactly. 
Yeah. And if they made it through, you know, 55 minutes of us talking, they deserve to be the ones to come up with that title for us. <laughs> Adam, I apologize that this is going this long. Because <laughs> he has to sit through this. You know, to go back to fandom as a culture, if Collider Dailies is building a fandom, we already have a god. And that is Adam. It's the voice of God. Is he here? Is he there? Are you there, God? <laughs> it's me, Margaret. I don't think he is. <laughs> and that's fine. I am always oh. here. Oh! <laughs> I, the best part of that is the fact that he dipped immediately after. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for joining us on this, like, just overstuffed episode of fandom uh it was a great discussion this is actually this is an episode idea that maggie and i have been talking about for a little while now something that we wanted to try out uh doing a both doing a in-depth like one discussion episode and also you know talking about fandom uh especially with everything going on as of late in it's specifically in the Star Wars fandom, but just in fandom in general, we felt like it was a uh, a good use of our time. So if you have any uh, cherished memories of fandom or if there's anything that you love about any specific fandom or just fandom in general, be sure to leave it down in the comments or you can hit us up on social media. If you are watching the video, you will see our social media handles are there on screen. I am at Bender Waffles and Maggie is at Maggie of the town. So uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, shoot us some messages, you know, share your love of whatever it is that you are a fan of. And, uh, you know, hey, maybe you'll introduce us to some new fandoms. I think that would be cool. If people could introduce us to something or like show us that there is a community around something that we didn't know that there was a community around, that yeah. would be fun. I love discovering new cultures. <laughs> so challenge, the challenge is put out there. Introduce us to a fandom. Anyways, uh, so that's all that we have for us today. Tomorrow, if all is going according to plan, tomorrow might be an episode live from Sundance. Ooh. but we will see if that pans out that way if not it might just be uh people scrambling to have an episode and by people i mean maggie who's the one person who will be uh, around to do it <laughs> but uh if if you see me or perry or steve or then you'll know that it was a success if you see maggie pray for our poor wi-fi <laughs> Anyways, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week, rest of your weekend, and we'll catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.